Let's pray together, shall we? And as we get our hearts quiet before the Lord, would you ask God right now to speak to your heart? Father, we do come to you in prayer in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the worship this morning of both hours. And I pray, God, that you would grant us your love today, grant us repentance today. Uh, grant us to be, be able to see ourselves as you see us today. As we begin a new year, we want to begin that new year right with you. And God, I pray that you would get everything else out of the way for just a moment so we can concentrate on you, concentrate on your word, what you have to say to us as you call us to love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, as we open up our Bibles this morning, it's going to be kind of an kind of unusual thing. I know I'm beginning the book of Revelation tonight in chapter 1. I'm going to do the studies there in Revelation. But I'm going to begin um, this series of messages on our stewardship emphasis, which we do every year, uh, really kind of in an unusual way because I'm going to begin with Revelation chapter 2. We're really not going to be going through the seven churches at Asia Minor uh, during the study of Revelation because we're getting right into the second coming events, the future events. But I do want to look at this one church today because I think that it really uh, captures uh, where the United States of America is today as far as the church is concerned and probably our own personal lives as well. Uh, have you ever wondered why some people are motivated in the Christian life and maybe others are not? You have to be wondering about that some. I mean, after all, you maybe the ministry thing, fair that we have every uh, May or June, uh, you know, I preach on service and a lot of people just run out to the booths and they want to know uh, what in the world's going on and what uh, ministry they can sign up for. But you're not as motivated. You just can't seem to get there. Or maybe since we start talking about stewardship, talking about service, or about giving, you know, you just sort of, boy, it's just abrasive when you're talking about giving and you maybe fold your arms, oh, the pastor's just trying to raise uh, his own salary, which, by the way, it's already been set. There's nothing uh, we can do about that one way or the other, okay? And, uh, and so, you know, we're trying to raise the budget, trying to do this. Oh, the church just wants my money. And we immediately get defensive. And, and we look over here, and, and somebody else is just having a joy during the offering time. And you think, what, what about me? Why can't I get motivated? We talk about witnessing, sharing your faith. Man, what a New Year's resolution to be, be uh, wanting to share your faith with somebody maybe every week this year. And you think, wow, that's good for somebody else. But we're just not motivated. What's, what's the deal? You have to... You, you have to have asked yourself that question many, many times, especially as you're sitting in a church service. So we're going to be looking at that this morning as we look at Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at this, and the title of the series is Finding Your Way Home. Now, I'm taking this, really, the whole idea of finding your way home on a message that I preached on several weeks ago when we all decided we we're going to pray for our prodigals, those lost sons and daughters relatives that have walked away from the Lord, and we're starting to pray for them. And the, the title, I think, of that message is Finding Your Way Home. And so just like the prodigal was finding his way home, we too need to find our way home as well. Now, we may not be as far as the prodigal. And we may be sitting here in church and you think, what in the world's the problem? I mean, after all, I'm in church. I read my Bible some, and I, I come to church on a pretty regular basis, in fact, what is it about what you're talking about? Well, this whole passage is about finding our first love again, finding our way home. And you find yourself in a situation where you're always asking yourself, 
what's in it for me? You're always asking yourself, well, I don't like what's going on in the church because of, of me, or I don't like what's going on at work. How is this going to affect my life? And it's always about turning things around and, and to yourself, and that really is a first love problem. And we're going to be looking at that this morning. As we look at this passage, I want us to see uh, what it says. It says, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, right, we're going to find out what those angels are about tonight. The seven stars, meaning the messengers of the angels in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, we find out in Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, that that is the churches. So Jesus here is pictured walking among the churches. And he's walking among the churches. He first comes to Ephesus. And all these seven churches are in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And he's finding, and, and every one of them, he, he looks at it the same way. This is my commendation of you, and here's my complaint. Over and over and over again, the same thing back and forth as he's watch, walking in, in really judgment or evaluation of all these churches. And he says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, that you not tolerate the men and you put, or tolerate evil men, and you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and not grown weary, but I have this against you that you've left your first love. Here is the complaint, the compliment, as well as the complaint. And so this passage is calling us back home to our original first love with Jesus. Now, I want to ask four questions about this. First of all, what is first love? Secondly, why is it important? After all, you're, you're doing what you can. You're dedicated. And so why is first love that important? Why, how do you leave it? How do you leave it behind? And then lastly, how do you find it? So first, what is first love? I want you to notice in this passage, again, that we, we see that he's beginning to look at the compliment or the commendation of the church, and then secondly, his complaint. The same thing he goes over in every, every single church. Only two of these churches out of the seven have no complaint. But he has one here with Ephesus. Now, if you can remember, Paul spent more of his time at Ephesus than any other city he had ever spent in in his missionary journeys. He spent two trips there, and when he left there, the very last time, he left in tears because he loved this church so much. So now we come to the end of the century, many, many years later after Paul has lived, we're in 8095 and uh, around 8095, and we find the Apostle John really exiled on the island of Patmos for uh, preaching the gospel. Instead of being martyred, instead of being killed, he was just exiled off. And he has this vision of the Lord. And in verse 19 of chapter 1, we find the outline, the things that uh, you have seen, that's chapter 1, we'll look at that tonight, the things that are, that's the seven churches, the things that are to come, beginning in chapter 4. And as we're looking at this, uh, uh, the Apostle John is beginning to write down the things that Jesus Christ himself has said. Now, this is very significant since Paul wrote a lot of letters, Peter wrote some letters, uh, Jude wrote a letter, and uh, John even wrote some letters, First, second and third epistle of John. So he wrote some letters, but this is the only place in the Bible where Jesus wrote the letters. Jesus actually wrote the letters to these churches. So we find seven things that are very important to him, and this first one, is of most importance. But I want us to see the commendation. After all, this was a good church. It says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance. And so we find here that, first of all, they were devoted. They had devotion themselves. They showed up. They worked. I don't know. Maybe they taught small groups. Maybe they were greeters. Maybe they were deacons. And there are other things going on here. They, they served 
uh, the, the uh, town of Ephesus, they really worked hard. The idea here is they worked until they sweated. They labored for the Lord. And so they were spending their time in the right way. They were serving the Lord. Then we find out they're pretty durable. Look in verse, uh, look on down, it says in verse 3. And you have perseverance. You, st- you have stick to itness. Persecution has come. Nero has persecuted the church. Now Domitian has come along as emperor, and he is, he, he's persecuting the church far more than even Nero, and that's saying a lot. And so you've got all these things going on, but, you know, you've persevered. You are sticking to the church. You're sticking to the Christian life. You're not going back to the world. I commend you for that. He says you're doctrinally pure. Look in verse 2. It says you don't tolerate evil men, and you put to test those who are called themselves apostles, And so they had false prophets there, and they were not, and you found them to be false. Verse 6, yet this is, you do have, that you have the deeds, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, the Nicolaitans were a cult group that tried to mix the Temple of Diana and all the sexual things that were going on there in Ephesus, because this was the heart. Ephesus was the where the temple of Diana uh, was, and then we find them trying to mix that with Christianity, of all things. So they're trying to mix the two together, and they call themselves the Nicolaitans, uh, uh, named after their founder. And he says, you hate the deeds of them, and we do too. So you see, this church was durable. They were working real hard. They were devoted, devoted, durable, and doctrinally pure. They believed in the Bible. They believed in salvation through Jesus Christ, him alone. They believed he died on the cross. He rose again on the third day. He ascended up into heaven. They believed all the right things. Many of us here, would be drawn to a church like this. Yeah, I want, to, I want my life to count, so I'm going to go to the church at Ephesus. They're working. Yeah, I do need some encouragement, so I'm going to go to the church at Ephesus because this is a church that just doesn't quit. Yes, I, I, you know, I want sound doctrine. I want the pastor to preach sound doctrine in the Bible. I want him to preach the Word of God. I'm going to the church at Ephesus, a church that I think I would be drawn to and you would be as well. But maybe when you got there, you would think, okay, something's missing. What is that? Well, I want you to notice the second thing, the Lord's complaint in verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Well, the church at Ephesus knew what that was, but what is it? Well, first love really has kind of a double meaning. First love has to do with something, how you felt about someone when you first met them. But first love also has to do with the first place love. And so when you first meet the Lord, you have a first place lordship type of love for him. You know, there's nothing he could ask you to do that you wouldn't do. You know, there's nothing of the Christian life that's going to scare you off. Man, you've been forgiven of your sin. The guilt has been lifted off your shoulder. There's a new joy in your heart that you've never imagined you could feel before. And so your life has been changed. Yeah, God, what do you want? Hey, what's next for me? I want to do whatever's next. It's the first love that we have, but it's also like a first place type of love. It's, in fact, the Bible compares us like this. The Bible compares us to a marriage relationship with Jesus. You know, we're called the bride of Christ. In fact, in the second coming, it's talking about the bride of Christ and the, once the last person gets saved before the second coming of Christ, the bride of Christ will be complete and we'll all be caught up together in the air to meet him and the church will be raptured from this earth as soon as the, the bride of Christ is completed. Now, that's a love relationship that we have. The husband being, being Christ and all of us 
being the bride. Well, Jesus, hear me, hear me closely. Jesus wants a honeymoon relationship with us that never ends. But in a marriage, it often does end, doesn't it? The honeymoon experience uh, comes somewhere between I do and you'd better, you know, that kind of that range. And, uh, you know, the honeymoon kind of ends. The newness kind of wears off. When I think about, I do, when I think about uh, first love, I think about uh, a new Christian that I've just explained. It's all new. Forgiveness is there. They just can't understand why any, you know, they tell their, their friends that don't know the Lord about what happened to them, and they can't believe that they're not grabbing hold of this thing. My goodness, it's the greatest thing in the world. The other kind of person I think about is the old saint that has not allowed bitterness to come into their life. They've just got a sweet spirit about them. I remember back when I was a student at Cool Falls, we had a gentleman there by the name of Uncle Gus Werner. That's what we called him. And he had been a missionary in China before the, the uh, country had closed. And we all admired him. He taught missions for years at Tacoa Falls, and then he retired. But he stayed around. He always had that suit on, you know, walking around. He, he would walk very gingerly, you know, to, to the chapel service, really still showing that smile on his face, the dedication. The last thing uh, I remember was him praying over the summer missionaries from Tacoa Falls that were going to go out for that summer. We left the gymnasium as we didn't have a, a chapel large enough for our student body back then. So we left the gymnasium. I was one of the last ones to leave. I'm going down the sidewalk. And somebody comes out the door and says, Uncle Gus has fainted. So I run back in, and I, I see the nurse standing over him, pumping on his heart. He didn't faint. He had a heart attack. And he was dead before he hit the floor. The last thing this 89, 88, 89-year-old man did before he died was pray over missionaries. What a way for God to send him out. He loved Jesus. He really did. You could see it all over him. And so... God wants this kind of honeymoon experience with us that never ends, but it does end. And we look at this and see this chilling, it's, it's, folks, it's a chilling type of accusation. It had to just slap them in the face. What? Us? Us leaving our first love? What do you mean? It is a chilling accusation. It's like a wife looking at her husband and saying, I don't love you anymore. It's like a father being on the porch with a suitcase in his hand. And he's about to ready to leave. And his children are crying through the screen door or the porch. Crying, Daddy, stay. Daddy, stay. Daddy, stay. And the daddy just walks off, puts his luggage in the trunk of the car, and rides off never to see his kids again. It's a chilling accusation to these people. You've left it. You've left your first love. Why is it so important? Well, because it's an act of worship. Why is it so important? I mean, after all, you're sitting here today and you think, hey, I'm pretty dedicated. You know, I, you know I'm not, are you enjoying the Christian life? Well, not really, but I'm still dedicated. I'm going to heaven, so what's the big deal? Well, you're not enjoying the Christian life. You're not enjoying your relationship with the Lord. Why is it important? Because all of us have a first love. All of us have a first place Love, something that we worship, something that is so precious to us that if we were to lose that one thing, we, can, we feel like we could never be happy again. Now, Tim Keller said that worship is the act of assigning value to something in such a way that engages your entire being. And so what he's saying is the what we worship 
engages our entire being. We're so wrapped up in it that it's the first important thing of our life. And everyone has something sitting on the throne. Everyone. I shared with you last uh, Christmas Day. Many of you, I'm sure, missed that service because of the day it was. And so let me share the illustration again. On one of the uh, movies or books of Harry Potter, never read the books and so never even seen the movies, but there's scenes that you kind of click on TV sometimes and see something. And I know it's a kind of a children's story, and some people like them and some people don't. But in one scene, Harry is before a, a mirror. And as he's looking at the mirror, this mirror is called, I have to read it because I don't read backwards very well, Erised. And Erised is just simply, again, it's a children's movie, it's desire spelled backwards. And he's looking at the mirror of Erised, and he's looking into the mirror, and he sees himself playing with his parents. And he's thinking, wow, wow, look at this. And it's significant to him because his parents are dead. And he, he calls his best friend over. He says, look at this, look at this. You can see my parents in the mirror. And he, his friend comes over, looks in the mirror, and he says, oh, no, no, I don't see your parents. I see myself being the champion of sports. And they're confused. A mentor, their mentor comes over and says, oh, this is the mirror of desire. And what, as you look in the mirror, the greatest desire of your life is what you see in the mirror. And so as we all stand in front, of the, in front of the mirror, what is the greatest desire? Whatever we find the greatest desire is in that mirror is what we worship. And so without that, there, there's simply no joy in the Christian life when God is not just sharing the throne, but he's being replaced on the throne of God. And so there's no peace in our life. And our first love is going to determine all of our decisions in life, basically. All the choices, all the decisions, all the directions we go. And so we have something else sitting on the throne. It's very difficult to go the right direction. Now, again, we're talking here about kind of like a marriage relationship. And when you're single... You have very little accountability. But when you get married, you really are saying in your vows, I agree to take my hands off my own life. Suddenly life changes. You know, husbands, when they maybe weren't all that motivated before, become motivated because they want their wife to be proud of them. Then they want their kids to be proud of them. They work so hard that maybe they don't, they're not around their family as much as they need to be. But they want, at least in the beginning, for their children and their wife to be proud the wife's the same way. They, they, they want it, they're, they're to please the husband in every way they can. Why? Because you are in a honeymoon experience in your life. Now, what happens when you no longer want to please one another? What you're saying is, I really don't care that much. You know, I don't want to bring this out because, you know, you never know when something's going to happen when you, you shave or something. But, you know, people, when I first grew this, people were coming up to me and saying, I really don't like that. I don't like that look. You look sinister. <laughs> and I was kind. And I explained to them that I grew up kind of as a lark, and my wife likes it. As a matter of fact, one time I shaved it off. Because I asked her, I said, do you, is it okay if I shave don't, don't you think maybe I ought to at least try it, shave it off? And she says, oh, you do what you want to do. And so I shaved it off. I said, how do you like it? And she said, well, you knew I like it the better, better the other way. <laughs> <laughs> but you do what you want. But, you know, you come to, and, you know, I want to say to, to people, though, sometimes, you know, very sincerely, you've seen those commercials where, you know, the, the construction worker is going to say whatever, whoa, boy, if you said what you really meant to say, 
and he says, oh, I'm, I'm going to be here. I'm going to give you an unrealistic timeline, and I'm going to leave you, your house in a shambles for six months. Remember that uh, kind of thing? Well, sometimes I want to tell people, well, you know, I don't care what you think. You know. <laughs> I don't. Just tell them that. But if I cared, I'd shave it, right? But I do care what my wife thinks. And so I, I've left it all these years. So all I'm saying is you come to the place in your marriage where you do what you want to do, and you don't care what your husband or wife really thinks. I mean, you do care, but not enough to do anything about it. What you're saying is, I don't care. And we come to the place in our Christian life where we say, God, I know what you want me to do, but I really don't care. How do you know that? Because you're not doing it. And so that's when we begin to leave our first love. So let's look at that. How do we leave it? Notice in verse 4 it says, you have left. You didn't lose it. Great news. You didn't lose your first love. You just left it. Now, what is the secret to this first love? Well, we look at other places in the Bible where Jesus talked about love. He said it's the most important thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. But he says this. In John 14, 15, when he's talking to his disciples in the upper room and the, and the night that right before he would die on the cross, in the last words, last will and testament he's leaving with them, he said this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And other versions have said, if you love me, other versions of the Bible, you will obey me. And so a person that is showing love to God is showing obedience to God. Now, we said this in uh, the message, a couple of messages, several messages ago, about freedom versus home. And the more people say, oh, I want freedom. I just want freedom. I don't want this legalistic Christianity stuff. And by the way, obedience to God is not legalism. Adding to the Bible is legalism. Obeying the Bible is just simply obedience, all right? And please don't get the two confused because you don't obey God, you'll never have joy in your life. But here we have uh, the difference. We have people say, I need to be free. I need to be. The more free you are, the less at home you feel. Remember the story of the prodigal son. He went out. He spent all of his, uh, his wealth and all of his inheritance on other things. And he came to the point in his life where he realized all the freedom in the world. All the freedom. There he was in the hog pen of life. All the freedom of the world made him long for home. There was a singer on television not too long ago on one of the singing shows that just made the comment, and you know her life. If I were to mention her, yeah, yeah, we, we know that. She said, nobody ever tells me what to do. And she also talked about getting married, and I wondered to myself how many times she's going to have to be married before she comes to the realization that freedom, the more freedom they have, the less at home you feel. And so here we have a dilemma of disobedience. How does this happen? How do we turn down that wrong road? Now, I, young in the Christian life, I had a wrong, con, I had a misconception about what really disobedience did to you, right? And honest mistake. But I felt like if I came to a crossroads in life and just said no to God, at least for a while, on something in my life, I just stopped growing. And I regretted that. I, I didn't want to do that. But we have a tendency to think, okay, God, here's where I was when I was lost without Christ, and I've grown this much, and now you want me to do this, and, you know, I've changed enough. Thank you very much. You know, I've done enough. And, wow, what you're asking me to do next, next sounds really painful or really hard. 
And so I'm not going to, you think in your mind, you don't say, no, God, I'm not going to do that. But you just say, you know, I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to go there. And my concept was I just sort of stopped, like hitting a block in the road, a rock in the middle of the road. But that's not the way it is at all. The way it is, is getting off on a tangent. You're off-road. Have you ever gone down, say, I-75? I've had this happen to me before. Now, maybe you have too. You're going down the expressway and you get off and you, you got your Coke and your, you know, your cheeseburger or whatever in one hand and you're trying to drive and it says I-75 south this way. And so I need to get on I-75 to get home. And so I turn, but I turn down one road too soon because the DOT has no idea how to put signs up sometimes, you know? I mean, you, know, you don't understand what I'm saying. And so you turn down this, oh, I've turned down the wrong road. Well, what if you're riding down the road and your wife's asleep, riding down the road and you're just driving, and she wakes up and she says, where are we? And you think, well, you know, I've kind of been daydreaming, and I have no idea where we are. And you look over here to the left, oh, there's the expressway way over there. We're kind of going down almost a parallel road. I, I, bet when we, I bet you when we get up here, we'll be able to get back on on the next exit. So you just keep going, and here's what's happening. You, that, that road's getting further and further and further away from you. But you stubbornly think to yourself, hey, there's a Chick-fil-A, there's a Wendy's and a gas station. I've got everything I need in life right here on this road. <laughs> and um, I know... In my experience, vast wealth of experience, there is a way to get on I-75 right up here. And you just keep going and going and going. And that's the way it is what we've done in the Christian life. We've taken a little tangent road and we think to ourselves, okay, I didn't obey God that time. But look what all these other things that I'm doing and all these other things are good. And sooner or later, yeah, I'll, I'll do what he wants me to do and I'll get back on the road. I'll, I'll find another way and I'll find another exit. And the road never comes. You're off-road. You're out of God's will. You'll never find your way home until you get back on the road. But that's how we leave it. We leave our first love, as Deuteronomy says to the Israelites, you're going you're to have these big farms, you're going to have these big ranches, you're going to build big homes, and you're going to say, I don't need God anymore. I just don't need it. Now, they didn't say that verbally, but they, they lived that way. And they started disobeying the Lord, and they got off. It could have been just something small. It could have been like God wanting you to serve somewhere. And you say, you know, I've done enough, or I don't want to give up this, this ministry. I really don't, even though God wants me to give it up. I don't want to give up this to do this, so I'm just going to keep doing this. Or it could be, hey, we're just talking about stewardship. What about giving? You know, you sit there with your arms folded, and you say, well, no, I'm just not, I, I can't do that right now. That's what we're talking about. I've done that in different aspects of my life, including giving, by the way, when I was a teenager. Oh, I'll deal with that later. I'm growing. I'll deal with that later. And so we get off-road. What are some of the symptoms of losing or leaving your first love? According to the Scripture, when our delight in the Lord is not as strong as our delight in someone else. Some of you here thinking, I've not left my first love. Let me ask you this. Is there something else that comes that burdens you? In fact, it so burdens you, this one person burdens you so much that when things happen to them in a negative way, you get mad at God. Or is it there's some time in your life that you love God more than you love him now? 
Now, secondly, when you no longer yearn for fellowship with God. You've read the Bible through maybe a couple of times. You know what's coming next. You've studied it. It's not that big of a deal. When you're called to obedience as a drudgery and you see the commands of God as a restriction, as a legalism in your life. When you fail to put others ahead of yourselves. That's the second commandment. All the last six of the Ten Commandments are wrapped up in that one thing, love your neighbor as yourself. Put others ahead of yourself, whether it's in church, whether it's at work, whether it's in the family. When you inevitably strive for the approval of the world, the culture, start interpreting the Bible by the culture, by the world. When you claim to only be human and easily given into temptation, hey, I'm just human, everybody's doing it, you know. I'm not going to get involved in that legalism type stuff. Jesus said, no, if you love me, you'll obey me. Or when you misinterpret the Bible to suit your own needs and desires. Does the Bible really say that? I mean, I don't think the Bible really, well, what does that Bible verse mean? Well, I don't know, but it doesn't mean that. That's the same MO Satan gave Eve. Oh, did God really say you're going to die today? Did God really say that? Let me tell you what he really said. Why? Because you want to create a God of your own image so you can live with yourself. We do that. Today, has there been a time in your life where you love Jesus more than you love him now? Is there something that God would call you to do right now today that you're really ready to do, but you won't? You just choose not to do it. Last question. How do you find it? How do you find the first love again? Well, the Bible tells us in verse 5, it says, therefore, therefore, remember, step one, remember. Stephen Alford has aptly said, the place of departure is the place of recovery. Remember. Remember what it was like. In fact, if you were to really think about your life for a moment and really reflect and take enough time to cut the noise out of the rest of the world, the television and the internet and the phone, and really reflect on your life. Do you remember how great it was when you got saved? And if you don't remember the greatness of it, maybe you, you've never had that experience. But the guilt was just lifted from your life. A new joy came in your heart like you've never felt before. You, you forgave. Not only were you forgiven, you forgave other people as well of the things that they had done to you. It, it, was, a, it was an eye-opening experience, like you couldn't believe it. I, I never will forget one lady saying to me, I don't know how, I could never, she was about 30 years old, 35 years old, so I've heard this all my life, I, I never saw it. I never saw this, and she couldn't understand why her husband couldn't see it. It's a great time. Do you remember that? John Bassanio, who is, uh, used to pastor the First Baptist Church of Houston for many, many years, one of, our, one of the pastors we all looked up to, great man, great man of God, said that in his uh, experiences of uh, pastoral care and counseling, he uh, often did marriage counseling, especially as a younger pastor, and he found out that young couples fell out of love, usually between, when it happened, between the uh, four years of marriage and seven years of marriage. And what he counseled them to do, he always turned to Revelation 2, and he said, this is what you need to do. Do you remember what it was like to really love one another? 
You remember what it was like to look on all the positive side stuff and, and really even argue with your parents over the negative stuff that, oh, it just wasn't true. Just wasn't true. Do you remember that time? God is calling us back. John is called, Jesus is calling the church at Ephesus and calling us back. It's like the prodigal. What did the prodigal son do when he was in uh, the, uh, the pit? And he, rather, in the, uh, the hog pen, he looked up to heaven and he thought to himself, wow, if I go home, my, my dad's servants are treated better than this. He remembered. He remembered how wonderful it was at home. And he started his journey back. But he says the second thing, you need to remember. But then he also says, from where you have fallen and repent, repent. Remember where you fell. The place of departure is the place of recovery. Listen to me very carefully. In our illustration, you've gotten off the road. There's only one way back on the road. To turn around and go back to the place where you left it. You've got to go back. To the place where you went to the Burger King, you know, in the road. You think, oh, I'm, I'm going to waste all this time. I've been on this road for so long. And you're asking me to go all the way back. That's, that's kind of painful to think about. I'm going to have to drive that much further. There's got to be a place up here to get back on the road. Nope, there's no place back on the road. The only place is to turn around and repent. Repentance means I'm going one direction, and I know I'm going the wrong direction. I'm turning around my life and going the right direction. The only way back is the place, the place of departure is still the place of recovery. When you're on the wrong road, you have to turn around and get back on the right road. And then he says this. He says, and do the first deeds. The first deeds you did at first. Uh, Dr. Bassanio says that in the marriage relationship, he counsels them. He says, now what I want you to do, I want you to remember, I want you to repent of your sin because you're part of this. There's something you've done wrong. And then I want you to redo. I want you to repeat what you did in your first years of marriage. You know, he's thinking to himself, well, I, I can't even remember what I did. Well, uh, what, what did you do? Well, let's see. I, I went to the mall when my wife, when we were first married. I didn't complain about it. I just went to the mall. You know, I watched, I, I watched a Hallmark movie, you know. And she's thinking, oh, yeah, I did make his, his favorite meal. You know, I did open the door for her. And you begin to go back and do those things that you used to do. And it brings back the memory. It brings it all back. We do the same thing. We read the Bible. I don't feel like reading the Bible. Read the Bible anyway. Well, I don't feel like praying. The last thing I want to do is pray. I'm kind of angry with God. Pray anyway. Let's start off with Thanksgiving. Pray anyway. And somebody says, well, I don't, I don't feel like serving. Serve anyway. Go back and do those things that you were doing in the beginning. Obey the Lord. You go back to the place and say, okay, here's where I got off on the tangent. I refuse to do, you fill in the blank. Or I got mad at God because, fill in the blank. And you go back to that time. You redo all that. You go back to the start, and you begin to do the things that you used to do. As you look in that mirror today, what do you find? As you look into the mirror of desire, what's on the throne? Who's on the throne? 
No wonder we don't have the joy. No wonder. I mean, you can't even have unity of the body, folks. You can't. Because everybody has a different God. How can you come together to worship if we're all worshiping something different? You're worshiping your kids. You're, you're worshiping sports. You're worshiping money. You're worshiping your job. You're, everybody's got something else on the throne. We can't talk about the joy of the Lord in our heart and share the love of Christ with someone else because something else is in, reflected in the mirror of desire. So what about you? Where did you leave it? The place of departure is the place of recovery. What about you today? Robert Robinson wrote um, a hymn called Come Thou Fount. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And uh, it goes on in the third verse to say, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I think that's a testimony of all of us in some ways. But it was his personal testimony. He got saved when he was 17. And as a young adult, he strayed from the Lord back and forth, back and forth. And finally, he just went back. He just did not repent. He found himself so burdened with guilt that he decided to leave his job, leave all of his uh, family and friends behind, and just get on a stagecoach and just travel the country. One day, sitting on a stagecoach all by himself with this young lady, she was talking about spiritual things. She had a hymnal. She had a Bible. The hymnal was often used back then in the 1800s as, um, as a, a devotional guide. And she was talking about the Lord. He thought, of all the things, this is the one thing I don't want to talk about. But he said, I was a captive audience. I couldn't just jump out of the stagecoach, right? And so he said, I was just there. And she said, you know, this is a great hymn I found today. And she turned around and showed it to him. It was Come Thou Found. And she said, I read this for the first time. The lyrics, they're just fantastic. He said, have you ever read this before? And tears came to his eyes. And he says, I'm the man that wrote it. And she looked. Sure enough, Robert Robinson, author. He looked at that text, prone to wonder, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to lead the God I love. The last part of that verse says, Lord, take my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it till the break of day. And he gave his heart back to the Lord, remembering where he had come. He never, never lost his dedication again. What about you today? There's been a time in your life where you love Jesus more than you love him today. If I ask you to do something, and I said, this is what the scripture says. Here's what the Bible teaches. You say, oh, I'm not going to do that. Or would you say, that's all I need to know, Pastor. I needed to know the answer of what the Bible teaches. I'm, I'm going to say yes before I even enter into the church doors. I just need to know. You give me the information and I will do what God wants me to do. Which, which camp are you in? If you're in that first camp, you'll never know the joy. You'll never find your way home unless you turn around and go back to the place where you left it. With heads bowed and eyes closed, in the quietness of this moment, I'm going to ask you this morning, what about you? What about what's in that mirror for you? What is first place in your life? What is it? You say, oh, 
Pastor, I know you're talking about me, but it's such a little thing. I'm just barely off the road. And it's so small. Boy, if I were to tell you what it was, you would laugh and say, don't worry about it. No, I wouldn't say that. Uh, If it worries you, it worries me. So it's no big sin. It's no big deal. I know. I know. It's your family. It's your job. Something else. But there's anything in your life that's in that mirror of desire ahead of God. There's just no way you'll ever feel the true love of God and joy of the Lord in your heart. So the altar's open. I'm going to ask you to start coming even right now. Even before we start singing, you start coming as I talk to those that don't know the Lord. Okay? Start coming right now. That's it. Just get out of your chair. Start coming to the altar. Say, I'm praying. I'm praying for me or I'm praying for somebody else I know along with me. You come to the altar. Now, if you've never received Christ into your heart, the love of Jesus awaits you. And you can receive Christ into your life and trust in the cross and what he's done for you. And you say, I want to trust nothing but the cross, nothing but Jesus to save me. You can do that today as the scripture inspires us and instructs us to do. And that's your first step of obedience, simply to receive the Lord. And if that's the prayer of your heart, pray this prayer with me, would you? Would you pray it with me right now? You can pray it silently or out loud. But pray it silently if you want, as I pray out loud. Lord Jesus, it goes like this. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sins. I open up the door of my heart. I ask you to come in. Please forgive me of everything that I've done. Help me to walk with you. Help me to look in the mirror and see your face. In Jesus' name.